Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the last, least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Uh, so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and as people who believe in a creator God from which all things were made and from which all things derived, we have to believe that all authority on earth is derived authority. Nobody, no thing, no institution in this world has authority in and of itself. Not even parenting. As followers of Jesus, we believe that our authority as parents doesn't come from the fact that we birthed our children, but from the God who gave us the breath and who saw our children born. All authority on earth is derived authority. If you run a business or an organization, your authority is derived from the people who work from you or the people who buy things from you. If they didn't, you wouldn't have any authority. As a pastor, whatever authority I have is the authority that you give me by coming here and listening to me spout off for half an hour every week or whatever whatever else we do, right? In all of life, all authority is derived authority. The Apostle Paul makes this abundantly clear in Romans chapter 13 when he's talking about governmental authorities and that the governments even only have authority because God has given them the ability to use it. So all authority is derived authority. Now, if you're with me on that, if you can follow me with that, follow me with this very controversial idea. The Bible, as a book containing words, has no authority of its own. As just a book with words in it, the Bible doesn't have any authority. The Bible's authority also is a derived authority. And it's derived because we believe that it comes from the very mouth of God. This is how we keep from worshiping the Bible. There's this, there's this thing that happens in certain more fundamentalist churches called Bibleolatry, where it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, right? where, where we worship the Scripture really more than we worship the God who the Scripture points us to. So to remember that the Bible has its derived authority from the person of God helps us to not worship the Bible as it is, but to worship the God to which the Bible points and whom the Bible teaches us about. And so we remember that the Bible's words and authority carry authority because of the God who spoke them. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus the Christ, and so it is only his authority that comes to us Through the scripture. It is the authority of Jesus and the affirmation of Jesus that lends the Bible its authority, that gives these words that we read their authority. But it's also why we must be dedicated to them. You would think that the idea of the Bible having derived authority might give us kind of an arm's length away from it. Well, now we have freedom to kind of do with it what we will. But when we read what Jesus himself says about the word of God, about the scripture, we can't. We must hold it closer than ever. 
and allow it to point us and move us to worship of Jesus. And so the very first point here is not in this text necessarily, but derived from others' checks that Jesus, as the embodiment of God's word, as the incarnation of God on earth, he is the one who gives the scripture its authority. Theoretically, Jesus could have come as God in the flesh and looked back to the Old Testament and said, yeah, no, that part doesn't really fit, and that part doesn't really fit, and I'm not really into that. And so he could have stripped the Old Testament of its authority. Only if he had done that, he wouldn't really be God on earth. He wouldn't really be God in the flesh. And so we shouldn't listen to him at all. And so it's this crazy cycle. It's this crazy circle of authority. God giving authority to the scripture. The scripture pointing us back to God. And God reaffirming the authority of scripture over and over throughout the Bible. This is what we read in John chapter 1. When we read that the word of God was with God and was God. And then came to earth to be with us. And to point us to God. Or in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus, right before he ascends to heaven after his resurrection, says to his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey me in everything I've taught you. Or in Hebrews chapter 1, this is really a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. If you haven't read Hebrews, you should. It's a tricky book. It's not the easiest to understand, uh, but it is a beautiful work pointing straight to Jesus. But this is how the epistle to the Hebrews begins. Hebrews chapter 1, the writer says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In this way, he's pointing back to the scripture and to everything that's been written down that came through the prophets. But listen to what he says next. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Do you hear what the writer there is saying? We have the scripture. God has previously spoken through the prophets, but now he's spoken through Jesus to whom God the Father gave all authority in the universe and through whom God speaks. Jesus is the source of all authority. Jesus is the one who gives authority to humans and who authorizes God's word. So when we come to Matthew chapter 5, to these verses that Terry read for us, we have to remember that. You cannot come to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and forget who you're dealing with when you're listening to Jesus. He cannot be some merely human teacher. In fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount and you got the idea that Jesus is just some really cool guy who came and taught us to love one another, but he's not God, the Sermon on the Mount is not a good speech. It's not a good sermon. It doesn't make any sense if Jesus doesn't have all authority in heaven and on earth because the stuff that Jesus says here does not work for life unless he is the author of that life. It's not good advice for living. If you try and follow the Sermon on the Mount without giving your life to Jesus as your Lord, as your King, as God in the flesh, then you are living a really foolish life. 
It's, it's a way of destruction in the sinful world that we inhabit if Jesus is not the Lord of life who gave us these instructions. But if he is, if he is, then we had better pay close attention to every single word he utters and dedicate ourselves to it. And so now Jesus, the Lord of life, God made flesh, the word of God manifest and incarnate among us, wearing skin just like you and me, in Matthew chapter 5, 17, says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, why would he say that? Why would people think that he came to abolish the law and prophets? Well, because Jesus was doing some stuff that the religious leaders and the the scribes and the Pharisees just, they, they, they did not like. And they didn't think was in line with God's word. They looked at Jesus' life and were like, there is no way you are tight with God. There's just no way. Like those people... You, you had dinner with them. Now, here's something you also got to understand. In this world and in this time, when you had dinner with somebody, to the rest of the community, it looked like you were giving your approval to those people. When you invited someone to your table, you were calling them an equal and you were authorizing or you were affirming them as people in whatever way of life they were in. You didn't sit at table equal with another person unless you were ready to affirm them. Unless you wanted the community to know that you approved of them. And yet Jesus is at all kinds of tables. Jesus is like, hey, you, you over there, you prostitute, come sit at my table. Hey, you tax collector, you sell out to Rome, you traitor to the Jewish people, come sit at my table. Hey, you sinners, which is usually a euphemism for like sexually immoral, come sit at my table. Jesus said, my table is wide open. And when the religious leaders at the time looked at Jesus welcoming his table, welcoming to his table all of these people who were breaking all the laws of God, they assumed that meant Jesus was approving of all of that. That Jesus just didn't care about the law. He didn't care about sin. He didn't care about traitors to God's people. Jesus was just cool with anything and everything, whatever went with him. And so Jesus here is speaking directly to those critics of his and saying, now hold up, I'm not here to abolish the law. Jesus is saying, I love the scriptures. I love them. I live by them. Like the psalmist in Psalm 119 last week, I consume them. In fact, Jesus says, I am them. Walking among you. I love God's word. Jesus loves God's word. And some of us really need to ingest that and know that this morning because there's a, there's a whole lot of people who look at the Old Testament and then they look at Jesus and they think they're radically different. They look at the Old Testament and they want to throw it out or say it's not important because now we have Jesus. And so we don't need to worry about the Old Testament. We don't need to look back to the Old Testament. Jesus here, God in the flesh is saying, I love the scriptures all of them, Genesis to Malachi. I love all the scriptures. And Jesus is affirming their truth. And so whatever, whatever, like, whatever issues we have kind of putting the Testaments together and figuring out the Old Testament in light of who Jesus is, 
Whatever struggle we go through to bring these together and understand the full character of God based on all of the scripture is worthwhile because Jesus himself said so. Jesus affirms all of scripture. That's what he says. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. He's like, not one of the tiniest letters. In Hebrew, that's the word letter yod. It's a tiny little, it's the Y character, but it's a tiny little thing. It looks like an apostrophe, right? It's this tiny little thing. And he says, and then he goes one step further. He's like, if that's not enough, because in Hebrew, oftentimes you can drop the yod from a word and it still means the same thing. And so Jesus is like, you can't drop the yod. Like, it doesn't mean the same thing if you drop the yod. And he's like, but if that's not enough, even the tiniest little flourish on a letter on the top of the the letter for W, which is kind of a a little squiggle with a straight line down. He's like, you can't even get rid of the little squiggle at the top of the the vav. You You can't even cut that off. Every stroke of the letter of God's word is valuable and will not pass away. Church, we have to do the hard work of reading all of scripture and interpreting it in light of Jesus and who he is. Because he said as much. He affirmed it all. And then as the Lord of the scripture, as God in the flesh, as the word made flesh, the one from whom the scripture derives its authority, we have to interpret it all in light of him and in light of who he is. And so if there's a picture of God we're getting from the Old Testament that doesn't square with Jesus, we've got to do the hard work of reading it and consuming it and listening to God's Holy Spirit and understanding how this is, how the meaning is, is altered in light of Jesus. Or how we misunderstood or missed what it was really trying to tell us in light of Jesus. Because he says, not a single speck of it will pass away until all things are over. Until all things are done. And you don't need it anymore because you're with me. The scripture has authority because Jesus gives it its authority. And all of the scripture is affirmed by Jesus. And so to love Jesus is to love the word that he affirmed. To love Jesus is to love the scripture that he points us to. To love the word of God as delivered to us, as given to us, to invest in it. That's what Jesus says next. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, within my people, among my people, the most honored are those who love my word, who love and uphold God's word, who teach according to it, who do the hard work of wrestling out what it means to be faithful to God and his word in a sinful world that is opposed to it, who do the really tough legwork of understanding what God has said and applying it to their world in the here and now. Those are the ones who are maturing. Because to love Jesus is to love God's word. To invest in it. To pursue it. And to see Jesus through it all. And man, this is hard. 
This is really hard. As we look around at the world today and we figure out what does it mean to love people who have radically different worldviews than me? As we look around at the world today and we try and figure out what does it mean to love people like Jesus did, to welcome to our table people who look like they don't fit in, to welcome to our table people who, who don't necessarily live by every word of God, who don't necessarily obey every command, to welcome to our table, as Jesus did, every person from every walk of life, regardless of their posture toward God or toward me or toward what I think is righteous and good. Because here's what Jesus is implying here. He's saying, the one who teaches people to disobey even the smallest letter is the least in God's kingdom. But that's exactly what Jesus was accused of doing. That's precisely what the religious leaders at the time were accusing Jesus of doing. They were saying, by welcoming these people to your table, by welcoming them into your your group of disciples, by bringing in Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot who wanted to like kill Romans and and John, the little kid who couldn't really do anything for you, like by welcoming these people in, Jesus, you're, you're teaching people to disobey God's word. By welcoming people to your table and saying, you can eat with me. You are equal with me. Here we are together. You're, you're saying it's okay that they're breaking God's word. And so Jesus here, saying what he says, says, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not endorsing sin I'm not saying it's just okay. I'm saying God's table is the place for all of those people. And if people can't find healing and love and grace at God's table, where are they going to find it? If we can't find love and grace and acceptance at the table of Jesus, where are we going to find it? Folks, there are a lot of Christians who think it's their job to change people. Too many Christians in this world thinking it's their job to make sure everybody's following all the rules. To make sure that everybody is living just right according to what God said. And they think that if they don't, they're being unfaithful to Scripture. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, welcome to my table. Let's walk through this life together and see how you grow. To his own disciples, Jesus didn't say, hey, come follow me. By the way, you got to drop that, 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 and that before you can follow me. Jesus said, come follow me and be transformed. And it's our role as followers of Jesus to do the hard work and the messy work of figuring out exactly what this scripture means in light of who Jesus is and then opening up our table and knowing that whoever we invite, we're not endorsing sin. We're not endorsing rebellion against God. We're just saying, look, come, have a seat. Let's walk with Jesus together and see how he transforms us as a family. Let's see how he does the work. Let's see how the Holy Spirit transforms us and confronts us. It is not our job to change people. It's our job to pull back the seat and say, come, come sit at the table with Jesus and I will walk with you and I will love you and I will embrace you all along this road and then we'll see what God does for each of us. Because the attitude that says, hey, I got to go change people. 
Like, I got to go preach the gospel and see people, see people saved. And then I got to tell them all the things that's got to be different about their lives now. That attitude assumes there's nothing left to change in me. But the mirror of God's word shows me just how messed up I am. The mirror of God's word, when I hold it up and I look upon Jesus, the one to whom it points, when I look through the entire scripture and I see the faults of God's people and I realize all those faults are living right here in my heart and I look at the glory of Jesus and realize I'm not like him yet. I'm not living and loving like Jesus has yet. I recognize that when I come to the table, I come as a sinner like everybody else. When I come to the table, I come as incomplete and as broken as anybody else I'm inviting. Because it's not my table. It's Jesus' table. It's not my home. It's Jesus' house. It's not my life. It's Jesus' life in me. And as we learn to love God's word, as we learn to look to Jesus, as we learn that all authority is simply derived from him and whatever power we have in this world is derived from Jesus, we open up our tables, we open up our homes, we open up our lives because we recognize my life is not my own. I was bought with a price and I belong to Jesus now. My life is to look like his in every respect, in every way. The internal work that then happens is a reevaluation of everything that I hold dear in light of this word. Reevaluating all my values, reevaluating all my priorities, because now, now that I'm following Jesus, now that I'm seeking him through his word, now that my whole life is reoriented around Jesus, he is the one who orders my steps, he is the one who determines my values. He is the one who determines all the priorities of my life. And so I have to go through my life and ask, is this something that I picked up from my upbringing? Is this something I picked up from the world that I'm in? Is this something I picked up from the culture I've been living in? Is this something that I just fell into because my grandmama did it and my mama did it and now I do it? Is all this stuff just, just default for me? Or is this ordered by Jesus? Is this in line with his word? Am I getting my values from the scripture or from the world in which I live? Am I getting my priorities from the scripture or from the marketplace where I work? Am I getting my values from scripture or from the hardline family that I come from? Or the very loose family that I come from? Where are my values derived? Where are they coming from? And here's a secret, Christian. This is a lifelong process. Every step along the way, you will find that you've been absorbing ideas and values and things from the world around you that have to be reevaluated. Every step along the way, we're going to be learning the ways that we still fall short of Jesus. We still fall short of who he is. Every step along the way, we're going to find that we've been absorbing values from whatever culture and groups of people that we're in. And we're going to have to always come back to this word. There's never going to be a point where you're like, okay, I know the Bible. Okay, I got Jesus back here. 
okay, well, you know, if, if stuff gets tough, like, he's back there. He can kind of come and help me out. Like, I've got, I've got him as a backstop to rest upon. That's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. Right? I've got this faith that, well, when things get hard, I can kind of lean on it. I can rest on it. And then I'm back up on my own steam and in my own power. And that's not following Jesus. Following Jesus, becoming mature in him, centering him in your life, means he gets to order every step. It means you need him every single day, every single moment. I need him. Not just when the guy cuts me off on the highway, not just when I'm impatient with my kid, not just when that person slaps me in the face, not just when that person at work does that thing that they always do that we've been talking about for like five years and they're still not changing. Not when I'm annoyed, not when things are hard, not when the disease comes, not when my income lessens, not when my kid goes wayward and does all kinds of crazy things, not when the really hard stuff of life happens. I need Jesus in the very best moments of my life. I need him. And to need Jesus is to need his word. To need Jesus is to need the scriptures through which our God has spoken and which our Lord affirmed. This is the centrality and the urgency of knowing God's word. This is why it is essential for the follower of Jesus to invest your time reading God's word, ingesting it, letting it become a deep part of you. Because it's where Jesus lives. It's the words that he's given us. And it's the way that God has spoken to us to work our transformation. So I encourage you, I encourage you in the coming weeks as we continue to talk about God's word, carve out time. If it's five minutes a day, if it's one chapter, if it's four verses a day, whatever it is that it takes to begin to invest in God's word and to really read it, to really let it read you, to hold up the mirror of God's word and let it point you to Jesus, whatever it takes is worth the effort no matter how small it is. So don't get discouraged when you're not reading huge chunks of it at a time. Don't get discouraged when you can't make it through three chapters because you've got a baby crying over here or you've got this thing to do or, God bless you, you're just sleepy. It's okay. The good news about not one letter dropping from God's word is that if all you can get in today is a couple sentences, God still works through it. And as you grow in love for his word and as you grow in dedication, you'll find that that time gets to expand a little more and a little more and your desire and your hunger for it expands a little more and a little more. So the challenge this week is simple. Find a few minutes a day at minimum if you're not already reading scripture. Pick up the Gospel of Mark and just start reading, okay? Church, from now until the end of the year, I'm going to be preaching through different things. You've got your study guides. You're going to be using those, I hope. But from now until the end of the year, here's, here's a challenge. If you're not already reading Scripture, you don't already have a plan, we're only going to read the Gospel of Mark until December. Just pick up the Gospel of Mark, read it, reread it. Nothing else. 
other than your study guide. And if you don't already have a study plan or a reading plan, like just Gospel of Mark. And then when we get together on Sunday, if you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, I want to hear about it. All right? Talk to somebody about it. Read the scripture and talk to somebody about it. That's the second piece. It's super hard for us because we think it's weird. We live in a world where the Bible's still weird. As much as the world thinks it's Christian, the Bible's still weird to them. And that's cool because then we can talk about it. Here's what I'm reading in scripture. Here's what I'm learning from Jesus. Read the Gospel of Mark. Talk to somebody about it. That's it for the rest of the year, okay? Aside from your study guide. Use the study guide, okay? Do it, do it. It's time to start investing in God's word. Seeing Jesus in it and letting it lead us more and more into dedication to Jesus so that together we become more faithful followers of him and we become better representation of Jesus in our world. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you have invested authority into your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you come to us, the word of God made flesh, that you are the fulfillment of all of God's word, that every single bit of it points to you. And thank you, God, that you work through your word. No matter how much or little we get in a day, God, you are there and you are faithful to work through it. And so, God, I pray that you would deepen our hunger and desire to know your word, to be pointed to Jesus. Would you give us, Lord, the margin in our lives to be able to read your word and take it in? And God, would you give us the boldness and the courage to talk with people about what we're reading in scripture, to talk with others, especially those who, who don't know you, but just to be able to naturally talk about what I'm reading in scripture. I pray, Lord, that the next time someone asks us what we're reading, we can say the Bible and talk about what we find there. Jesus, be present to us through your word. Holy Spirit, work in us a deeper desire for it and lead us on to become like Jesus in every way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.